We present to you another Bruin football player on this episode of Locked on Bruins. You will enjoy this guy. Coaches call this guy a man of, of high character, but he's beyond that. He's a, a stalwart in the special teams department for UCLA, was for four years. He's an academic scholar. He's the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry. It is Johnny Denblanker. He will be joining us for a one-on-one discussion on this episode of Locked on Bruins. I'm your host, Brian Fenley. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian Fenley. You can follow Johnny on Twitter, jdenblaker33. That's jdenblaker33. Now, it's important to follow us on Twitter as I will be posting a video component of our interview with Johnny Denblanker. So you can actually see faces talking and you will be able to see what Johnny looks like. You've seen him wearing a helmet for all these years. Well, what does he look like underneath the helmet? Does he have hair? You will find out all of these things if you go to my Twitter and I will be posting links to this podcast with a visual component. So that's what you have to look forward to. Let's start with the interview. He's a benchmark for all good things that come with a long snapper. He spent four years at UCLA running things at that position, taking all the drama out of it all because he was so good. He embodied consistency, and he is with us on Locked on Bruins. Johnny Denblanker joining us on the show. Johnny, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. Thank you for asking. Uh, How about yourself? Doing pretty good, even better that you are on the program right now. And, of course, I'm Brian Fenley, the host. And we have had a chance to get to know Johnny over the last couple years, following him and interviewing him on UCLA's campus before games, having him on the Bruin Insiders show. And it's such a fascinating position that you held, Johnny, for those four years in that a lot of people think they know football, but they don't know what goes into being a long snapper. What are the misperceptions of being a long snapper that you hear from people that are misinformed or maybe they're just haters? Right. So a few actually come to mind just right off the bat. Uh, one of them being the fact that long snapping, I genuinely believe, is a skill that anybody can pick up. But it's a skill, nonetheless, that it takes a thousand hours to actually pick up and become a master at. It's something that you have to commit to, and it's a discipline in itself. So I think that you know the idea that, oh, long snapping is easy is not necessarily the case as it is. It's a commitment to something. And another, oh, another sorry, thing. Oh, sorry. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, of course. Um, another thing that really comes to mind is uh, the idea of, as a long snapper, not really being hit or knocked around on the field. And in recent years, there's actually a rule change to where you, know, you can't line up on the long snapper and you can't make direct contact with him. Um, that rule is more of a suggestion to most, and it's actually pretty often that uh, I get knocked around a little bit. So that's something that I definitely think is a misperception when it comes to long snapping. You also make some big plays. You've had some big fumble recoveries that we're going to talk about in just a bit. Your introduction to being a long snapper, you have to think that your brother, who was a long snapper at Washington State, and usually you think about sibling rivalry and older brothers picking on younger brothers, but he was what it sounds like, Johnny, the one who introduced you to being a long snapper and helped you along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My older brother, um, in my opinion, I I don't think that I would be where I am without him. He's, you know, served as a role model for me. He's gotten me into long snapping. He started off at fairly early age. Um, I think he started around maybe his second year of high school. 
And obviously me being younger and, and seeing what he was doing, I kind of took that role as the younger sibling and, you know, that notion said, you know, you always want to be like your older sibling. You want to be like your older brother. And so that's something to me where I think we really connected was this, we had this passion for long snapping that, you know, he instilled in me. And so for me to get to where I am right now at UCLA and actually in a graduate program here, you know, none of that's possible without him. I want to ask you about that graduate program, because first of all, you graduated in three years and then you had another year of eligibility. So you kept playing. Now you're halfway through your grad program. What's your course load like and how have you been able to, to keep it going despite what's going on with coronavirus and having to adapt the way you study? Right. So with the whole coronavirus situation going on, I'm actually taking advantage of this, uh, this self-quarantine. Um, you know, being locked inside, I have a lot more time to really focus on a lot of the research articles, a lot of the books. So I'm actually taking four classes right now. And with this grad program, it's a two-year program that UCLA is now offering. Um, it was done in combination with uh, athletics and the education department in order to find a happy medium between athletics and education. And so the main thing is that they wanted to develop a program to where there's no compromise in both of those things. And you're able to successfully thrive and achieve in both. You, I think it was a year ago. So it would have been heading into your senior year. You had your media availability previewing the season, your senior year. And you said on a good day, you stand 5'10". First of all, what is a bad day? And what do you stand when that happens? And you said when you admit that you're six feet, you get more girls. Is that recipe working for you? Yeah, so uh, on a bad day, you know, you roll over, you're a little bit shorter, you don't got the right shoes on. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you, you feel you know, three inches smaller than you really are. You know, it, especially with uh, there actually being a big jump in, in the whole mental process between 5'11 and six foot. And so, uh, yeah, no, I... I like to tell people I'm six foot. I'm definitely six foot in cleats. I'm, I'm six foot with a helmet and shoulder pads on. So, you know, that's kind of my, uh, my, my little white lie. And yeah, I, I would be lying if I said I haven't told some girls that I'm six foot. So <laughs> there's definitely that. So Johnny, are you and Johnny Demblaker is joining us. Bruin, long snapper, great four-year career in Westwood. People on these dating profiles, you know, all the apps, they, you know, they sometimes fudge their numbers. And I've heard horror stories of somebody saying that they thought so-and-so was this height and they were a lot shorter. So are you one of those that when they put the bio, they say six feet. And if you're a man of your words, maybe you are six feet and maybe you show up to the date with cleats on. <laughs> Uh, so I got to be careful with it. Obviously, you know, being who I am and being a part of UCLA athletics, I have a profile that obviously says that, you know, I'm 5'10", 5'11", whatever it says. So I got to be careful with, you know, what I put out there. So I like to say that I'm six foot and kind of like passing conversation. So that's, uh, that's kind of like, like I said, my, my little go-to white lie. So. <laughs> it is not a lie that you have a, a serious interest in chess and the story came out, I think it was almost a year ago, that Chip Kelly had brought upon teachers for chess, had made that part of the off-season curriculum for you guys. Tactically, perhaps it refines your, your mental strength. And, and guys, some players really did take a keen interest in it. You were one of those. Why? Yeah, so I like to think of chess and football as almost being one and the same with um, how it, it gets you to think ahead 
um, obviously in chess, you're trying to plan strategic moves ahead of time, set up traps and, you know, find where you can take advantage with football. You know, whether that comes from an offensive, defensive, or special teams perspective, you're always trying to find, hey, where can I set something up to where I can really strike and take advantage in this game? And, you know, with chess and Poison Pond, um, that's the company that really started working with us. Uh, to have, you know, that influence really come in and to have the players really take advantage of that, uh, it's something I think that, you know, makes UCLA football really different into where we're trying to combine all these different things and, and learn these transferable skills. Would Chip ever undergo a, a competition on, on the chess game? Would he ever – I know he's a busy guy, but would he ever get involved with that and, and take one of his players on? I'm pretty sure I've seen him play against either Chase Griffin or Dorian. Um, I've never had the opportunity to play against him, but I would absolutely love it. I wonder if yeah, – okay, so, Chip, if you're listening, you've got a, another person you, you could go up against. I'm wondering from, from Chase or Dorian if, if they would admit to losing or are they telling everybody that they beat Coach? I'm curious to know. What... You might hear it from Chase. You'll never hear it from Dorian. <laughs> no, Dorian either won or the game didn't happen. I love it. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, obviously the quarterback for UCLA. And let's go back to your career a little bit because you had some highlights all across the board. I, I think that one of your biggest might be at USC, had the, the big fumble recovery. And then you were able to, which I find probably the most satisfying, is being able to put a hit on a USC guy. You called that play wild having that opportunity. For all of us who want to live vicariously through you as part of Bruin Nation that don't get that opportunity to go on the football field and deliver a hit, a big blow to a USC player, what is that like? Yeah, so for me, that was something that was more like, a, it was like a dream sequence almost. It's something that like, that's something a UCLA football player, a, a person that just goes to UCLA in general to where, you know, they can prove that, hey, you know, we're really going to, you know, stick it to SC. To, to do something along those lines. And, you know, that, that's something that was really special to me. And obviously, you know, leading up to these games, you know, we're watching games. We see these pictures of, you know, Anthony Barr making a hit on the quarterback floating around. There's one of Osa Digazua of recent years who's standing over the quarterback. And to try and, and really leave your, your print on that game and that whole series, you know, that's something that every UCLA player strives for and really trying to get that win, make their mark. Johnny Demblanker, Bruin long snapper, is with us on Locked on Bruins. And, Johnny, I feel like you also made your your presence known in that Fresno State game, which you promised your mom that you would do something to honor her for her birthday leading up to that game. And not only are you a man of your words, but you probably made her very happy with what you did on the field that day. Right. So um, having it be my mom's birthday and having her make the trip all the way from the Bay Area down, um, her and my father, they drive to pretty much every UCLA home game. Um, she came, came to me, uh, I want to say maybe three hours before the game. Uh, we met a little bit and she had asked me, hey, just do something special. You know, it, make it a birthday gift to me. And obviously with her leaving it open ended, you know, I'm, a little, I'm scrambling a little bit on the field. I don't know what really I can do. And uh, Stefan Flintoff, the punter at the time, you know, he, he had a great ball on the return, had a problem with fielding it. Uh, he had called for a fair catch, but he muffed the return. The ball came out. I just had the opportunity. You also had the opportunity against Stanford and you coming up with the fumble recovery. Give us a play-by-play -play of how that came about. 
Right. So that one's actually a little bit different than the other two, which that was more of a team effort when it came to getting that ball back. Um, going into Stanford week, we figured that they would end up having some kind of uh, guy on me in coverage. And so as a long snapper, it's a great compliment. And so what really happened in that game was uh, I got picked up very early on in coverage. And with that happening, guys like Colin Samuel, Mo Osling, they were able to get down there on our coverage team and really get in front of the returner. And that's something where, as a returner, if you see movement in front of you as the ball's coming in, you can kind of, you know, get in their head a little bit. It can really mess with someone. So, fortunately, the returner bobbed the ball. And as I was looping back around, you know, me and Ethan Fernay were right next to it. So, we got into a little bit of a wrestling match trying to get on the ground and get that ball out as it squirted through the returner's legs. And fortunately, I came out on top. Um, you know, that's, that's something that you know, I joke around a little bit with Ethan. But, um, yeah, it, it was just an amazing opportunity. And, you know, it was the start to something that was really special, you know, covering a fumble for three years in a row. When you're, like, wrestling for a loose ball, are, are, are guys yelling and screaming? What are they saying? I mean, is it, is it just full-on just brute force? Or do you hear guys yelling stuff and just getting, getting animated, getting after that football? So it's, it's, not, a blissful, <laughs> it's not a blissful silence. Um, <laughs> it's one of the most panicked and – you know, heart beating moments, but you, you kind of like tune everything out. And, and so it's almost completely quiet. You can, you know, feel yourself getting beat up. Um, and it goes on more often than not. Guys will try and, you know, do something in the pile to, you know, make you loosen your grip. Uh, so I didn't have too many hands or feet reaching in and kicking, trying to punch the ball out or anything. So it wasn't too bad. Yeah. 2017 final game of the season you and the Bruins had a field goal to win the game against Cal get yourself into a bowl game it was a 37 yard field goal it was a seamless job on your part and then JJ Molson knocks it through there was a a moment where I could see you, you, you hugging JJ what what did you tell him because that was certainly had to be one of the highlights of your career um I don't think I really told him anything. I'm pretty sure I was just yelling in his ear the entire time uh, with what JJ. You you're just, just yelling? Just, just, just yelling nonsense. Um, I mean, <laughs> and in moments like that, you know, you just kind of let emotion and everything kind of take over. And so, you know, I think everybody at that point was just yelling, running to hug JJ. So there was that. And then you had the opportunity to play with, obviously, Stefan Flintoff as the punter for a lot of years. And then Wade Lease, your senior year, who was 31 years old, and I'm sure he got a lot of heat for being that old. He's my age, and he definitely likes the attention, I feel like, and he's a whole lot of fun. What, you guys certainly had a lot of fun joking around. What, what was that experience like having him on the team and being a part of what he was doing? So in my mind, Wade's kind of like a two-fold guy where you're getting – this older man coming in, he's very experienced, you know, he's dedicated to what he does in his work. But at the same time, you know, you're getting 30 year old, 31 year old, 32 year old Wade, and then you'll get 16 year old Wade where, you know, he's, he's the biggest little kid on the field and he has the most fun doing what he does. And, you know, to be doing what he does coming from a different country and the age he is and having that much fun, it's, it's actually pretty inspirational, you know, to work with somebody who, find so much joy in, in something where, you know, he can be scrutinized or actually he is scrutinized a lot. A lot of Australian punters are, um, but you know, to see how much fun he has with it, it's something that's really special. Has he given you an insight on, on obviously the Australian pipeline that is punting, but like you said, there's a, there's a lot of pressure. 
there is seemingly a movement and a lot of Australian kids are getting that opportunity, but that's a, that's a quite the, the operation or, or, you know, business and, and getting those guys to the United States and playing, has he given you an insight on what that's all like? Because that's really a story in itself. Yeah. There's a group out there. I believe it's pro kick. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they're really established out there and they do a great job of developing their guys and getting them ready to, you know, showcase in front of, you know, college coaches, NFL coaches. Um, we talk about it a little bit, but it's more about his experiences that we, you know, share with each other. And so we don't really dive too much into that whole world. A world that I do want to dive into is how you were able to adjust so seemingly effortlessly when having different special teams coordinators coming in and, you did not seem very frazzled by this. What would you attribute that to? Right. So, you know, believe it or not, with having three different special teams coordinators at UCLA, I've actually been very fortunate to have, you know, three different coaches with Sage Manning and Coach Scott White of having three coaches who are just, you know, genuinely ready to listen to their players and, you know, make adjustments based upon their feedback. There's been times in game where I've said, hey, you know, we should, you know, let me, you know, stay in and block this guy or, Hey, I'm getting a free release. You know, can I do this? Or, you know, I can go and help the guard get off his man by picking. And so by having these coordinators who are just willing to listen to their players and their feedback, because coaches can only see so much from the sideline. They can only see so much from up in the box, you know, having these guys really listen to their players and, and, you know, put their faith in these guys. I think that's something coaches in general and just, you know, believe in that style of coaching. I, it's a really awesome thing to have, and I've been really fortunate to have that at UCLA. How's J.J. Molson doing? We're all certainly fans of his and what he did at UCLA, and he certainly has the skill set for the next level. What have been your interactions with him since the end of last season and, and how he's getting ready for the NFL? Right. So when season ended for J.J., it wasn't really an end at all. It was something that, you know, he was looking forward to the next step. You know, J.J. never really stops in his pursuit of work. And uh, I've really been working with Wade and Andrew Strau and trying to help facilitate, you know, their pro days. And every single time, you know, J.J. always beats us to the field. He's there. He's worked out already. He's gotten his kicks in. And we actually have these narrow uprights that we ordered specifically for our kickers. And he's working on those all the time and really trying to, you know, get the little things down. I think that's something that he does in his preparatory stick. That's absolutely fantastic. I love that. And then – want to go back before your college days to the U.S. Army All-American game. And that must have been quite the experience for you being around guys that were probably uh, a lot bigger, would you say, maybe? Yeah, so that was kind of the real eye-opening experience at the Army game. Um, even when it comes to playing schools like Texas A&M and all that, Army All-American game. It was uh, an experience I, I think really got me ready for college football. I mainly hung out with the specialists there. Um, those are people I've known previously from camps. And that being said, all the specialists were still bigger than me. You know, you had guys like Drew Chrisman, who's at Ohio State. He's like 6'5". You have John Shannon, who's 6'2", 225. He's a long snapper over at Notre Dame. Skylar Southam, who was the kicker at BYU, now at Utah. You know, I think he was a recruit as a safety, you know, about 6'2", probably about 215. And so I was still kind of the smallest guy there, but um, it was a really humbling experience. And I think that's a really important part of my process in getting ready for college football was being able to participate in that game with people of that caliber. One more thing I wanted to ask you because of your 
ability to adapt so well to the college game was the mental side of things because you think about a pressuresome situation you were put in several of those and that's kind of what your position is all about and being able to handle that with tack and and, po and composure and poise how how did you do that right so it's kind of the mindset of all specialists is that you really want to kind of turn your mind off and trust your body and, and really rely on your muscle memory. And so that comes with this whole idea of, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to become a master. It's the same thing that goes with specialists. You know, they got to put in the amount of time and the correct amount of reps in order to develop a, a quality amount of work over a long period. So you can get to the point where you can just tell your mind to shut up and really trust your body. Trust J.J. Molson's body because of what he did on the field. Also trust his mind. He's a very smart guy. 4.0 GPA is on the regular for this guy. And he has huge, huge aspirations as he finishes out his master's degree. He's still helping out people in football. He wants to be a teacher. He wants to be a coach. He is an all-around great guy. And we're so glad to have Johnny Dan Blinker on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. You know, it, honestly, it was, you know, a, a great way to kind of take my mind off of uh, the state of things right now. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of shows like this are, you know, trying to do their best and keep everybody's minds on, on sports and some of the things that we love in day-to-day -day life and to come on the show. It's honestly an honor. Oh, stop it. You're, you're an honor. You make this show an honor because of your presence and your insight. It's not about me. It's about the awesome Bruins that we get on this show. And yeah, People are starving for sports content. We're looking for anything. And this is a great way, a great escape for people. We've had some great guests on like yourself, and we're going to continue this. And I hope this is not the only time we have you on. We'd love to check in with you later on and especially get your take on, I think next time, here's a tease for you. Let's, I want to get your take on what the Bruins are going to look like next season. You've had a chance yep. to work with a lot of the guys. And so that's what we're going to do next time we have Johnny Demblaker on is get his assessment on the team look moving forward. And hopefully by then we'll have more of an idea of when we're going to have sports back. But until then, great to be graced by the presence of a legend in himself and Johnny Demblaker, man who just put his hard hat on, went to work, did a great job. And you've always said, Johnny, that the best compliment at your position is when nobody says anything. Absolutely. You know, I've done my job right if I go unnoticed. So, you know, if nobody says anything to me after a game, then I've done it right. You might be unnoticed in that respect, but we want to notice you by bringing you on the show for this. Johnny Dunblanker, thanks again for coming on and let's do this again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. I might take Johnny Demblanker's sage advice and show up to a date with cleats on. Let's see how far I go with that date and if she ends up ever calling me again or probably, you know what's going to happen? She'll probably ghost me. But you know what? It would not be the first time. All right, so just a reminder, if you'd like to not only listen to this interview but watch it, we have that video component I talked about in the intro. Go to my Twitter and you can watch Johnny and I talk. It's a pretty cool thing. It's with the help of our friends over at Zoom, which probably a lot of you have been using because of all these quarantining measures. It's a chance for us to, to see each other despite the self-isolation that is put into effect. So go to my Twitter. You can follow me there, and I will post the links of this podcast with that visual component. So an added bonus if you follow me on Twitter. And don't forget, tomorrow 
TJ Leaf on the show, current Indiana Pacer, former NBA first-round draft pick. We'll have him on the program, so a lot of fun for you, and we'll have that tomorrow.